Infirmary Media. Art. People engage in stuff for dueling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Poop culture, popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history, we just fight for it. Welcome back to Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and this week we bring you The Week Experience, where all of our contestants will be constrained to a one-week time period for their picks. So let's meet this week's duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, say hello to Man Crush. What's up? I got July 12th through the 18th, 1987, and I changed my shirt once again <laughs> after losing out with, uh, what did I wear the other day? Of My Y-O-Y-O-Y-O, did I ever leave Ohio shirt? Oh, I yeah. lost. So that's two weeks in a row that I lost. So I changed it again. I got my Ric Flair Woo shirt on. 16-time world champion. Gotta go with I this. love Rick. Thank you. He's a good man. Rick's a good man. Give me points through the game. There we go. (laughs) Next on the dais is the host of the Video Rangers podcast, the incomparable Mike Ranger. Hello, everyone. I'm Mike Ranger, representing July 17th through 24th of 1994. (laughs) Also returning to the panel this week is the host of the Miscast Commentary podcast. Please welcome back to the show, Canada's favorite son, Joe Finley. Yeah, that was that made me feel way better than I deserved. I am here doing July thirteenth to nineteenth, nineteen seventy, motherfucking five. Let's do this. Why did you whisper? I don't know. <laughs> so Canadian of you. I know, but I'm not taking it back. <laughs> and as always, here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's celebrity guest judge is an actor producer known for her work in Witchboard and Bachelor Party, as well as the voice of Annabelle on Eek the Cat. She also just happens to be the original video vixen. All rise and welcome Judge Tawny Katane. (laughs) With the hair whip. Hello, hello. So good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on under the circumstances. Yeah. You're giving us hair whips. Look at this. This is called not brush my hair. <laughs> it looks like you just got off the hood of a Jaguar. While <laughs> I, 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 I did, as a matter of fact. <laughs> um, I wonder what that would look like. <laughs> it's a new Uber option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges' coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie after all five rounds, we will go to a final Wild card round. Hakuna Matata ain't no passing craze. Let's play some more. Dueling decades. <laughs> Let's go right down to our celebrity guest judge, the great Tawny Katane, for the coin toss. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Who's yeah, going to call it? This will be between Joe and Mike. All right. Joe, okay, you call. Between sure. Joe and Mike. All right. You guys who called? Is it called? I'm going to call it. I'm going to call Tails. Tells. Yes. All right, Joe Finley, you won the coin toss. You got control Finley. of the board. Finley, what? that's my legal last name. Oh, we're family, so you have to like you got you gotta be good to me now. Yeah, you know it's my ex husband's last it's my ex husband's last name. I didn't bother to change it. So uh, I'm Finley, I'm Finley too. So we're 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 married. Oh, all right. <laughs> Sweet. I will I will inform my wife thusly and I'm on my way. Please tell please tell her. Well, before you head out the door, Joe, what category are we going with first? (laughs) All right. um, I'm actually going to start off with movies. Oh, shit. This time. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, I'm going to take you to uh, July 17th, 1975. This was a world premiere in Boston, of all places. Uh, and it was a documentary. And the documentary was Bugs Bunny Superstar. Uh, this wasn't released anywhere else in the country until 1977, but the movie features interviews from cartoonist Bob Clampett for his Freeling, Tex Avery, and had footage from uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons from the 1940s, uh, nine different cartoons. The documentary was narrated by Orson Welles, who was friends with the producer, but it was actually quite a controversial film because, number one, Warner Brothers had nothing to do with this film. Uh, the <laughs> The production company... Uh, that had the rights. So United Artists had the rights to those nine Looney Tunes films and they built everything around that. And part of that was why, you know, mainstays like Chuck Jones and Mel Blanc weren't involved in this. Uh, but it was a weird scenario. Also, Bob Clampett, who is probably not one of the more, uh, prominent names when you think of the creators of the Looney Tunes, uh, really painted himself in this documentary to be a, high-end member. In fact, uh, in an interview prior to this movie, he had claimed to have created Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, and Yosemite Sam, which really caused a rift between him and Chuck Jones. <laughs> and so basically the reason he was able to do this is because he made a deal with the producer to get access to his archives, which was necessary for the film. He was given final cut of the film and he got to basically make any decision he wants. So he really painted himself in a uh, good light. Uh, the movie got, like we said, we got a national release in 1977. It eventually made it to every format all the way up, uh, laser disc, VHS. Uh, it got a DVD release and then it got a separate, uh, bonus release on the, uh, Looney Tunes Golden Collection Volume 4, where it's actually in the Warner Brothers collection now. Uh, but that is my pick from July 17th. Bugs Bunny, superstar. That was a mission statement. (laughs) That was, what the hell was that? My goodness. No wonder you went movies first round, man. Oh, wow. It's okay. All right, Mike Ranger, let's see what you have for the movies round. All right. Well, thank you for passing it over to me, Mark. I can't wait to tell you what I have uh, because... (laughs) uh, We got a smart ass over here as a judge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Siskel and Ebert considered this to be one of the worst films they'd ever reviewed. Ebert wrote, I hated this movie. Hated, 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 hated this movie. Hated it. Hated every simpering, stupid, vacant, audience insulting moment of it. The infamous review led to the later rant on the Siskel and Ebert show which became more popular than the movie itself. On July 22nd, 1994, the Rob Reiner comedy North hit theaters. The film stars Elijah Wood as a boy who leaves home and travels the world to find better parents, featuring a star-studded <laughs> cast but with Bruce Willis, Dan Aykroyd, Reba McIntyre, Ben Stein, Jason Alexander, Julia Louis-Reifus, and Abe Bogota. The film bombed at the box office grossing just over $7 million against a $40 million budget, and was nominated for six Razzie Awards. Wow. Damn. North. It's a great movie. <laughs> Man, you were shitting me. When it, like, did we tell you it's a best of week? Not to, You both brought, like, total shit. What are you I'm talking about, this... man? North is a good movie. I'm going to take this round. You guys, oh, God. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, let's see what you have for the movies round. All right, I got this. Slam dunk round, July 17th, 1987. Every once in a while when you're competing on the week experience, you get a monster week in one particular category, and this is that week for movies, and honestly, this is one of the best movies in the 1980s. It's over the top. It's made by Orion Films. They had awesome practical effects that still hold up, except for one scene. It's ultra-violent, ultra-violent action that you cannot do today without people crying about it. So and it's also a story that makes some damn sense. Uh, the movie would get nominated for two Academy Awards, albeit they were for best film editing and best sound. But you know what? How many other 80s action flicks got nominated for anything? So who cares? The movie, it went on to make an outstanding $53 million at the box office, which is about $123 million in 2020, which is pretty damn phenomenal when you consider this is a hard R rating. 
And like, don't you miss the days when movie studios weren't afraid of putting out a real R-rated movie? Yeah. 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 Now they're so concerned about making a buck. They butchered this particular movie with a 2014 remake that was PG-13, which is total shit. And just think that Orion did this movie on a $13 million budget, and it looks like they spent far more. But that's all they spent. Just just so you know what movie I'm talking about here, I'm talking about RoboCop. Mm. Uh, the movie did well at the box office, but it did tenfold in the aftermarket with its licensing and the rentals and all that. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. This is why the 80s and 90s were so damn awesome. This is a hard R-rated movie. We got a cartoon. We had video games on Nintendo and on the computer. There was a theme park ride. It was like one of them 90s simulators. It even had a kid's toy line. That would hardly ever happen in 2020, maybe barring some like comic book movies like Deadpool or Wolverine, but that doesn't really count. I mean, compared to RoboCop, no comparison. Uh, it would also get two sequels, not as good as the original, of course. Two different attempts at a TV series. Uh, one was actually a four-part Canadian series. Uh, which yeah, is I, did, I didn't make it, though. Uh, oh, all right. <laughs> it had two animated series. Like I said before, they had RoboCop the Animated Series and RoboCop Alpha Commando. And it all began here on July 17th, 1987, with the Paul Verhoeven, Peter Weller classic RoboCop. Wow. And if it wasn't for RoboCop, we would never would have got Robert Cop. <laughs> Rob O Cop. All right, so let's go right down to our celebrity guest judge, Tawny Katane, for the ruling on the movies round. All right, so you all sucks. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Wait, wait I'm who kidding. sucks? I'm trying to bring some. I'm trying to wake up, bring some love here. <laughs> Oh, God, my battery is going dead. Okay, here we go. Let me like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go with um, you. <laughs> which, you. Which one? <laughs> Wait, yes, me? you. Oh, the glasses. The last story oh, Nick. told. Nick. The last story told because it was so, you, you really wanted me to buy it. I mean, you really, you just, you, you. You really want me to get it? I'm just, I'm better than the rest, is what you're saying. (laughs) Thanks, Tepper. (laughs) So you, hey you, hey you, that's the one. You, you, for this episode, you can call me Nick if you want. That's right, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Or you, because if you say you, we don't really know who you're talking about, because we're all different spots. Use Nick. (laughs) All (laughs) All right, so Nick wins the first round. Picks up a point and gets control of the board. What category are you selecting next? All right. Let's go to music. Let's just knock this one out right here. I got July 13th, 1987. I didn't have the best new music to choose from this week. It was decent, but it was nothing to knock my socks off. So when I found this pick, it was kind of a big deal at the time. Not kind of. It was a big deal at the time. Being that AIDS was the deadliest and most publicized virus of the 80s, this was really newsworthy in 1987. And it was awesome that like celebrities or musicians would do concerts for a cause, just kind of like we have in 2020 with COVID and everybody coming on. So on July 13th, 1987, Madonna performed an AIDS benefit concert in the memory of her friend, Martin Burgoyne. He had recently fallen victim to AIDS. So she did this show. It was done at Madison Square Garden. She raised $400,000 in one night, which is about $900,000 in 2020 which is fantastic for one night, one performer and one night for uh, performance. She was in the middle of the who's that girl world tour at the time. She stopped it. She did this tour. They sold it out in a couple weeks, 14,000 fans filled up Madison square garden. Uh, most of the tickets that night for, were going for about a hundred dollars a ticket, which is about $225 in 2020s. That's pretty damn steep. Uh, they did have some upper bowl tickets that were about 25 and 50 bucks. But again, this is 1987. So that's a lot of money. So you had either people that are like diehard Madonna fan and Madonna fans or just people that are coming out, you know, because they wanted to eradicate the AIDS em- epidemic. Uh, but a few times during the show, and this is why I don't think it was all Madonna fans. She actually stopped the show to tell the people in the front to get up and dance because they were just sitting there like statues. So wow. these people were probably there just for a cause, which is fine. It raised a lot of money. Uh, but it was nice to see people of all different like political motivations. You had Don Don Johnson was there, Donald Trump was there, so you had like people just coming out for a cause. It didn't matter, you know, what motivation they had. They were just coming out to do this. So this was the night 
July 13th, 1987. It's the Madonna AIDS Benefit Show at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Mm. All right, Mike Ranger, what do you have for the music round? Well, uh, on July 19th, 1994, the debut album by Marilyn Manson hit the record stores. Portrait of an American Family featuring the singles Get Your Gun and Lunchbox. The album peaked at number 35 on Billboard's U.S. Heatseekers album and is certified gold, selling over 600,000 copies. Uh, now, I'm not too familiar with Mr. Manson's work, so maybe one of you can help me out here. At what point in his timeline does he remove his ribs so he can suck his own dick? <laughs> uh, it might have happened then. It happened yesterday during my surgery. Really? <laughs> that? I've been trying since I was 15. We're engaged. <laughs> Wait, you had surgery to remove a rib yesterday? Is that what you just said? No, I said Maryland. No wonder you're so happy. He's in Maryland. All right. All right. <laughs> like that had to be, I think that rumor started after uh, the next album because that album, they actually played in Middletown. We had uh, Chris Barron on just the other day. We talked about him playing at Sportland, which was a little shithole up here. He actually toured at Sportland for that album. So that's very low key, especially with 600,000 copies. <laughs> I don't think he can afford to take that bottom rib out just <laughs> But it's a good album. All right, Joe Finley, wrap up the music round. What you got? All right. Well, let's go back to Canada in May of 1975 first, uh, because the band Hawkwind fired their bassist in Canada after he was fired, uh, arrested for drug possession. By June, he'd already formed a new band. And by July, he had, they'd already booked a gig. And on July 19th, they played their very first gig, opening for Greenslade at the Roundhouse in London. The bassist's name was Lemmy Kilmister, and the band's name was Motorhead, their very first show. Mm. With the original lineup of Larry Wallace and Lucas Fox, uh, after about 10 shows in October, they were opening for Blue Oyster Cult. They signed with a record label uh, shortly thereafter. They are on, uh, they're number 26 on VH1's top 100 artists of hard rock. They've sold more than 15 million albums worldwide. They've wow. been nominated for four Grammys. They did win one. They've done 25 tours. They have 22 studio albums, 13 live albums. Not much more you could say. They were on the ballot this year for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, did not get in, but they'll get there. That's a, you know, that's a, that's a given. That's an eventual thing that's going to happen with these guys. Uh, recently passed and, Never forgotten. Let me kill Mister. Starting the band Motorhead, July nineteenth, nineteen seventy five. You know what's pretty bullshit about that though is like you just said that they didn't get in; they yeah. were nominated. But didn't Whitney Houston get in this year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she did. What? How is that? That's not even rock and roll. Yeah. I know we had this conversation before, but I didn't know that they were nominated. Yeah. And didn't get in. And well, Whitney that was when in, I right? thought about like when I found out. Oh, Harrison Ford doesn't have a star in the Hollywood Walk of Flame Walk of Fame, but. Uh, Courtney Kardashian does, but you can buy one of those. Yeah. Maybe he just doesn't I, want one because he's kind yeah. of like a country dude. Yeah, yeah, you do, you do, you do buy them. I'm saving up. Oh, you have to pay for your own. Well, star? it's it's a political thing. Yeah, it's a political thing. Ugh, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, that's why I've got a pickaxe <laughs> and I'm going up there to get a hold of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go down to guest judge Tawny Katane to see who wins the music round. Oh, my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike. You just, you were just, you, you're so eloquent, and, and, and I just, I loved the way you, you approached it. But, Nick, I'm going to have to go with you again because I know Marilyn um, personally, and he's such a great guy, and I would be remiss if I didn't give it to him on that. Oh, that's Mike's. Yeah, no, no, Nick. Uh, oh, you're you're talking no, about. Mark, I, I was talking Mark, about. No, you, weren't you talking you about Marilyn Manson? No, that was yeah. Mike. Oh yeah. God, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, can we we tell them like Tawny's actually in bed? She's having a hard time. Yeah, well, <laughs> but weird. you can tell them why. But she's a she's a great sport. Do you tell you tell them Thank why? You. I don't want I don't want. Well, to, like, I had I had a surgery yesterday and. Uh, was it yesterday? And see, that's just it. I yeah. don't even, I don't know what day of the week it is. I don't, I don't even know how I got home from the doctor's office from the surgery center. Um, I'm hoping a, a, a really nice Uber man drove me home. Oh, no, I'm kidding. A friend of mine picked me up and dropped me <laughs> off and then left me. 
and I have no food. I have nothing. I'm starving and I'm having so much fun playing this game with you guys. <laughs> well, we're, you're in California, yeah. right? Of course. You're, of sorry. Course. I, I can, I cannot bring you any food. You're a little, oh, that's far. why you said that. That's sweet. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Maybe we can get you like some Uber eats. We'll, uh, we'll ship it over. We get somebody else to send it. Yeah, over. I'll give you my address and you guys can send it over. <laughs> some taco bell or something oh my god listen i'm a cheap date but i'm an expensive <laughs> wife buddy so i'll take the taco bell because we're dating not because we're married <laughs> wait i thought you were married to joe she's married to me but i'm not sending nothing i don't have my uber eats open but he's not sending anything so i have to break up with him yeah. temporarily that's fine now you only get half of my taco bell that's fine. That's, that's the law. That's fine. All right. So Mike Ranger picks up a point on that last round and takes control of the board. What category are we going with for our final one point round? Well, since I have control of the board here, I'm going to go with news, Mark. Oh, yes. Uh, which is good because I found an article in the Albuquerque Journal titled Teenage Kingdom Got Old in a Hurry, A Bargain to Build But a Bear to Fix. Because on July 19th, 1994, as the Seattle Mariners prepared to play the Baltimore Orioles and 30 minutes before the gates opened, the problematic ceiling in the 18-year-old kingdom had its ceiling collapse. The Mariners ended up playing the last 20 games on the road as the season was was cut short by the baseball strike on August 12th. The stadium had a reopening ceremony the weekend of November 4th and a total cost for repairs was $51 million, and two construction workers lost their lives in a crane accident. The kingdom was demolished on March 26, 2000, less than 25 years old. So yeah, big, big news. Some ceiling tiles came down. It was a fucking disaster. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize two guys died. Well, that well, that was, you know, later when they were, like, fixing it. <laughs> I just thought you meant like later they got old. They eventually passed. You know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> a lot more of them died too, is what I heard. A, a bar <laughs> fell on them, but it just took like fifteen years for him to die. <laughs> All right, man crush. What do you have for the news round? All right, so I'm glad that Mike started with baseball. I didn't feel so bad. July eighteenth, nineteen eighty seven. And I normally don't select sports unless it's something that really stands the test of time. So when I ran across this baseball record being broken, I had to select it because one, the record still holds up today. And two, it's an insane record that I cannot believe three men hold the distinction of achieving this. And I mean, obviously a lot of people love baseball. Tawny, you love baseball? Yeah. Love baseball. But this is what I hear a lot of times from casual fans. A lot of people are like, oh, it's too long and boring. It's because they don't understand it. They don't. Exactly. But you know what? But they do understand when they go to the game and somebody hits a home run, the entire stadium goes apeshit, no matter what. You don't even need to know the game. And people are like, oh, home run. So that's where I'm going with this one. Uh, Oh, God. This ought to be boring. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) July 18th, 1987, Dom Mattingly, the New York Yankees. He would hit his 18th home run of the season. He'd finish the year with 30, but this is no ordinary home run. In the fourth inning against the Texas Rangers, Mattingly would hit his 10th home run in his last eight games. However, said home run off Jose Guzman was his record-setting eighth consecutive game with a home run. Mattingly would tie Dale Long's 1956 record that night in Arlington, Sadly, he would go two for four the next outing and would fail to get that nine consecutive games, although the record was tied also by Ken Griffey Jr. in 1993, right before the uh, the fucking ceiling fell in for Mike. But the, mm-hmm. this record still stands today. All three of those guys, three dudes, eight consecutive games with a home run. I mean, that's incredible. Like, I can't even fathom somebody doing no, that these days. That's, wow. With Mike Trout. I don't, I don't think so. Like nobody like lately, because they, they go mean, hot and cold. But eight, that's true. Eight I mean, games. if you're in, if you're in Texas, are you are you pitching? Are you batting against Nolan Ryan? I mean, you know, we got to take these things into consideration. That's why people don't think baseball's fun because they don't know the little ins and outs and the little idiosyncrasies of baseball. Baseball is one of the most intelligent 
least uh, a game. As a matter of fact, my ex-husband, after the game, I'd go down and take the elevator down and I'd go, Chuck, why did you throw a two-seam splitter to the guy on second when you have so-and-so up? And he'd look at me and go, I get this from the press. I don't <laughs> need this from my wife. <laughs> well, th- actually, if you want to know, this is wh- who he actually hit them off of. I don't know. Mike Smithson, Juan Beringer, yeah. uh, Rich Dotson, Joel McKeon, Jose DeLeon, Jim Wynn, Charlie Hugh. Mitch Williams, Paul Kilgus, and Jose Guzman. Those were the uh, the eight <gasps> unlucky pitchers that he got. I mean, that's wow. pretty incredible, though. Ten home runs in eight games as well is yeah, pretty that is That's incredible. That's not nothing. That's not nothing. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, let's hear your offerings for the news round. No word of a lie. It was almost baseball, but I found something at the very last minute. <laughs> I found an announcement from the Walt Disney Company. They had a press conference and announced a new uh, venue called the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow, or Epcot. Uh, Originally uh, envisioned by Walt Disney as a city that was going to house 20,000 people. It was going to house major top-of-the-line research labs, and it was going to have a world showcase, and it was... It was going to be dedicated to both innovation and community. That was the whole point of this entire thing. After he died in 1966, uh, the company took over, went in another direction. Roy Disney uh, wanted to point it more into a park, but maintaining the same philosophies that Walt had envisioned back then. So uh, as we see, when you go to Epcot, you the world showcase is there pretty much as envisioned. And Future World, which was the other point that was going to be the main hub, also still exists. Uh, they have obviously added other uh, attractions, you know, closely related to uh, those themes. In there, it is a very popular park still uh, amongst the parks in Orlando with Universal and all that. It actually, you, on every list I saw today, it ranks ahead of the original Universal Studios uh, as mm. far as favorite park in Orlando. It's the second favorite park amongst uh, Disney fans and uh, still gets 14.4 million uh, visitors every single year. So except right now, but that's a whole nother story. I'm going to put an asterisk, asterisk on that. <laughs> and, and what baseball team did they own? It was Anaheim, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Very good. There we go. Took you a minute. Took you yeah. a minute he's he's Canadian. It. He does, All he knows is the blue Jays. You know. Yeah. If, if it's not blue Jays, <laughs> like, well, you said Jose Guzman and I was like, Ooh, and I was like, Oh no, that's Juan Guzman. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Epcot opened in 1982 and has been uh, known as the permanent world's fair for its focus on innovation and uh, world culture. So that is my news from July 14th, 1975. All right, let's hear from celebrity guest judge Tawny Katane for the ruling on the news round. Thank you very much. I am going to have to go with Disneyland. Oh, come on. I, I had ceiling tiles. Somebody I mean, died. I mean, it's part of my life. I mean, it was like 14, 15 years of my life. You know that they they were bought they were owned by Disney and I spent a lot of time there. I never had to pay to go to the park. Um, I have nothing but wonderful memories of Disney. So no matter what's going on right now with them, awesome. they're the winner. How often did you did you visit Epcot? Oh well, well Epcot um, probably five times. But but we have a Disneyland right here in Anaheim, right. and it's just you know ten minutes away from us. So that's the one that we would spend most of our time at. Even if it was just a Tuesday, you know, I was like, let's go to Disneyland. Yeah, that, okay. That's awesome when you live by. I wouldn't go to the one in Orlando every day of the week. I, did, I went there on Christmas Day once and wanted to kill myself. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it was awful. Yeah. Uh, but like, it, the, I wanted to ask everybody else, like, we're all older now. When I was young and my parents would bring me to Epcot, I fucking hated it. Yeah. yeah. And now as an adult, it's completely opposite. Like, yeah, I'd now much I want to go, go to Epcot. It's great. Yeah. I want to have a beer in every uh, village. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I went there as a kid, and I remember going there, and we didn't even make it to World Showcase. We only went around the front area, and we're like, "There's nothing here," and like my parents didn't know about World Showcase, so we literally looped around and missed it completely and left. Oh. And we ended up going to we ended up going to a different park. We had the whole park park hopper thing. That's so sad. I know, right? And then um, you missed the gondola yeah. ride. Oh, I did then, but you... then when I I took my wife on our honeymoon there, and we ate there pretty much every single day we basically left whatever park we were at to go eat supper in one of the world showcase places and we've eaten in most of the countries 
Wait, you took your wife there for your honeymoon? Damn right we did. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> She's divorcing you again, Joe. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I don't know. It sounds a lot more romantic than my honeymoon. We went to a glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, I'll ask your wife about it. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense now. <laughs> All right, so the game is tied up at one, one, and one, and we end up right back where we began with Joe Finley in control of the board as we enter our first two-point round. <gasps> oh, God. Okay. Okay. Um, Let's go hot products. You you just said that like you got a leftover hot product. It should have been a one pointer, but it got slipped over into the two point round. Well, That's I didn't. It sounded like. yeah, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll take you to uh, July fifteenth. Uh, it was um, the latest offering from Marvel Comics, uh, Avengers number one thirty seven. It was a weird issue where the Avengers have found themselves short-staffed with uh, people leaving their ranks and Vision and Scarlet Witch going on honeymoon, probably at Epcot. <laughs> and they held and they held superhero tryouts for a new Avengers members at Shea Stadium. Uh, they were joined by Yellow Jacket, who is a schizophrenia suffering Henry Pym, formerly Ant Man, and the Wasp, who just went along with everything with Pym and uh, allowing him to believe that he's somebody else. And from the X Men, Beast. And during their tryouts, uh, the villain, the Stranger, came and invaded Shea Stadium, and they all battled. And that was that comic. <laughs> really, they ended up at the same glory hole as Mike Sonny. And ironic, still playing baseball. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, that's my offering. Oh, man. All right, Mike Ranger, what do you have for Hut Products? Mike's up. All right. Well, um, so what I have here is I, I found an article in the Odessa American from July 17th, 1994, reviewing the new Donkey Kong game coming out on July 22nd for Nintendo's Game Boy, retailing for twenty nine ninety five. The article says Mom. that the game is based off the 1981 arcade hit and that Donkey Kong is back and it's the first Game Boy title to take advantage of the Super Game Boy's possibilities. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, the Super Game Boy uses a is like a Game Boy cartridge adapter that allowed you to play Game Boy games on your Super Nintendo. But this game was the first to take advantage of what it could do. Once inserted, the game has a replica arcade border, adds stereo sound, as well as color. EGM awarded Donkey Kong Best Game Boy Game of 94, later selecting it as their number 67th game all time. Nintendo Power has it as their 8th Best Game Boy Game, and the only true follow-up to the original. So yeah, Donkey Kong on the Game Boy. Wow, I didn't even know that was on Game Boy. Yeah, it was a big deal. People love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, actually, what's really interesting about that particular game, it, it is actually really cool. People do like it. But um, just the fact that it was the first game to totally utilize uh, the possibilities of the Super Game Boy kind of adds an, an entire library to your Super Nintendo. I actually didn't like Game Boy when I was a kid. I didn't like playing on that little screen. Yeah, that was my problem. But it. the Super Game Boy was great. Yeah. And you know what, Mike? I think you're personally pushing a little hard, really pushing a little hard on your thing. When you already won, you already Thank had you. me at go. That's right. You did. Yeah. Absolutely. Because think of all those jobs that were created when we're talking about um, visual, musical, uh, editing, um, uh, graphics, everything. And and so that was a very fascinating um, story, and I enjoyed listening to well, it. Well, thank you very much. It was a lot better than my other story. Well, yeah. I grew as a person, so thank you. Yeah. I like how it creates jobs. Kind of like how the glory hole created the jizz mopper. <laughs> this is true. It created one job. Blow. <laughs> Two, I'd pour the water on the floor. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the hot products round? All right, so we go uh, July 13th, 1987. Here's a product I remember. It was popular in 1987. But I didn't remember it being this popular until I started digging into it. And it all stems from a little bull terrier mascot named 
Honey Eye Evil Tree. And if you had listened to an episode we had last year, that name might sound familiar to you. But if you aren't aware, Honey Eye Evil Tree was the female bull terrier that played the role Spuds McKenzie for the infamous party animal mascot for Bud Light between the years of 1986 and 1989. Yet another reason the 80s are so amazing can you name any other temporary mascot that was so pivotal as Spuds? Could you? Yeah, the Taco Bell Chihuahua. I was just gonna say the same one. It, yeah. For, or, or, how or what about the Budweiser frogs? Temporary, temporary, dude. The one was Mackenzie, bro. Sp- Hold on, let me. T- I'll tell you exactly. I mean, <laughs> this. <laughs> Where's listen, the beef? No, yeah. those old women were nothing compared to Spuds. Listen, she to was this. very like, temporary. There's no way she's alive. Yeah, they, yeah <laughs> they were so temporary they died like pretty soon after. <laughs> yeah. But like this is how monumental this was as a mascot. Anheuser Busch actually had to stop with the whole like in 1989 they pulled Spuds McKenzie because they were saying that he he or she however you want to look at it outshine the actual product that it was endorsing. Hmm, that's interesting. Sounds like a white snake video. <laughs> this is true. But, I mean, here's the thing. The whole Spuds McKenzie Bud Light campaign that began in the summer of 86, when I was looking through newspapers.com, our friends over there that give us our accounts where we get to do our, all of our research, if you looked at the summer of 1986 and you looked up Spuds McKenzie, there were an average of about 30 articles a month. By the time you got to July of 1987, there were 1,000 articles about Spuds McKenzie. And these articles, wow. yeah, these articles were all about how hot the merchandise for Spuds McKenzie was. Not so much Bud Light, but Spuds McKenzie. There were stores like, remember Warehouse Music from back mm-hmm. in the day? If you looked yeah. at a Warehouse Music ad from this week in July, it actually had a little slogan on the side that said that they were the official Spuds McKenzie headquarters. And then there was wow. ads that were touting like new Spuds McKenzie shirts. Then you had like the po- remember the poster it said Ayatollah Partiola and it had Spuds McKenzie in the middle there was a bunch of like models around him that was the best selling poster in the country at the time New York wow they had 22 different Spuds McKenzie boutiques one of them was right inside Macy's and it featured 200 different items for Spuds McKenzie posters Jeez, mugs jackets shirts it, yeah, it was insane, but That's crazy. here's the topper. And this is why I picked this one. It, not only because Spuds was in every article I found, but there was a fucking, <laughs> there was a beach volleyball tournament. It ran from July 13th through July 19th. And it was the first annual Spuds McKenzie beach volleyball tournament. It was co-ed. <laughs> it was $50 to get in. Saturday night, they had a beach party and Spuds was going to be there. And if you looked at Spuds, it like, Dude, this guy toured more than a guy. It was a, actually it was a female dog, but playing a guy toured all around the country. It sounds a little bit like David Lee Roth. Yeah. <laughs> David yeah, Lee Roth right? and Spuds were definitely hanging absolutely. out. Like absolutely, they had I, it down. How many parties were you at in the eighties where Spuds was at? It had to be at least one. Oh God, too many to count. Well, I can tell you how many I was at when David Lee Roth was at. Yes. But, well, I mean, but... same person. So good. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, then three years worth every single day of my life. <laughs> let me let me. There's a story that we heard. There's a big story there, um, but it's <laughs> going to be saved from my book. It's, well, it's I'll tell you one that we heard. Well, since you can't okay. tell us yours, this oh is... well, wait. Okay, David wrote about me in this book, and there was one thing that he wrote that was right, and one thing that he wrote was wrong. So go ahead. Let me hear what you got. All right. So this happened during the US Festival. In nineteen, was it 1983 or 1982? I Which one was this it? This was at the 82. Yes, I think it was the first one. one. The 82. Probably. We had this guy on and he was telling us that uh, he sees David Lee Roth at the tour bus. And he's, we told the story before. He's leaning out the window and he's yelling at this guy. He's like, Glenn, what's up? Come over. Come on over. So he like runs over to the bus and he said he's having a normal conversation with David Lee Roth. He's up at the window. He's like, come on in the bus, man. Like they're having like a five minute conversation. He doesn't notice anything's going on. He walks on the bus and he's getting head right underneath oh, while he's hanging out the window. Like nothing's happening. <laughs> yep. That's, that's my day, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, sit down, man. Have a drink. And he's like, no, I doesn't was, miss a beat. I, I, 
yeah, I was extremely lucky. I think myself and uh, Tanya, his sister, and maybe Valerie, we were the only three girls on the face of this earth that David did not try to have sex with. (laughs) (laughs) His sister, Valerie Bertinelli, and me. Yeah, I think that's the three girls. Yeah, that's it. Oh, I feel bad for his mom. (laughs) Four. (laughs) No, no, trust me. (laughs) I think she's waking up now. (laughs) I am. How can I not? You guys are so entertaining. You completely woke me up. My doctor's going to be so mad at you because he wants me to rest. I feel like getting up and like finding the closest Jaguar to me and doing a little, little Spitfire dance on it. All right. So that was our last pick for the Hut Products round. Let's go down to Tawny Katane to see who wins the first two-point round. The first two-point round is going to Mike. God, it's because of all yeah. the jobs that were created. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're all about economics here. Spuds yeah. McKenzie was at the same con at the same party as you were. Yeah, but he wasn't at the glory hole. I I know, but I li- I lived with David, but David lived at our house, so it was like I've seen him one too many times. <laughs> I've, I'll see him again sometime, but on this round, you uh, don't get me to start thinking I'm changing my I'm going to change my viewpoint. Oh no, he'll Mike, try. I'm with you, babe. I'm with you, babe. But I have the Ric Flair shirt on. Oh, I can't see your Ric Flair Woo. shirt. Oh, I love him. I love Wendy. Do you know Wendy? No, I don't. I mean, I, we don't know the person, but I know who she is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's mm. such a sweetheart. I love them both. If we're all sharing, though, my shirt says there is no princess, only Zool. Shut up. Nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Mike Ranger jumps out into the lead. Three, one to one. Let's see if we can hold on to that lead and close out this game. What do you have for the TV round? Well, Mark, uh, uh, in 1994, the World Cup changed sports coverage in the U.S. by way of the sponsored scoreboard and game clock, with both being displayed throughout the game. Previously, coverage in the U.S. had depended on commercial breaks, which worked with the other sports but not suitable for soccer's uninterrupted play. This innovation soon made its way into every team sports broadcast. The American broadcast of the World Cup had a, had a lot of firsts. The first to have all matches televised, no commercial interruptions during play, and the first with on-screen score and time box. Brazil faced off against Italy on July 17, 1994, with the first and only goalless final, and the first to end in a penalty shootout. Brazil won 3-2, taking home their fourth cup. So what we have here is the televised event of the final game in the World Cup and how the World Cup actually innovated itself into uh, other sports with having uh, average... So they wouldn't have to go to commercial breaks as much. They could find advertisements on the screen. This is soccer, right? Mm. This is soccer, yes. <laughs> or football. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, let's hear your television offerings. All right, well, this one's actually uh, quite an interesting one. Uh, into the Apollo moon landings, uh, the TV coverage got less and less. The interest got less and less. Eventually, uh, they canceled some Apollo moon landings. And for a long time, uh, nothing was really going on as far as NASA was concerned and space flight. But this day, July 15th, first off, uh, Apollo launched again. But so did the Soviet Soyuz capsule, and they met two days later in space, docked, and in the first uh, international cooperation space mission, the two uh, people who had been in a brutal space race for the better part of almost two decades joined together and met in space. Uh, the Wait, they docked, they docked in space? <laughs> Sounds like a love story. They did. Um, and, uh, they, they got some, uh, they got some, uh, astronaut and cosmonaut all-stars, uh, for this one. Alexei Leonov, uh, on the Soviet side, who was the first man to walk in space. Uh, Tom Stafford, who was a, a Gemini commander as well as the commander of Apollo 10, uh, which was obviously the precursor to the first moon landing. But an interesting one is Deke Slayton. He was actually all the astronauts' boss. He was one of the original Mercury 7, if you watched the right stuff. Uh, and he 
was grounded before his first space flight uh, due to a heart condition. So he never flew in space all through the Mercury missions, the Gemini missions, and the and the Apollo missions. He never got to fly. He was given his flight status back after the final moon mission. So he was put on this flight. This was the only time he ever went to space, and he was the oldest man ever to fly at the age of 51 at this point. Uh, it was a gigantic deal. It had got a lot of TV coverage. It got a lot of newspaper coverage. It was the cover of every newspaper every day. Uh, I was checking newspapers.com and finding that like crazy on the 15th, 16th, and 17th. Uh, it was a big deal. And to have those men, after such a long, drawn-out battle in the race to the moon, to open the hatch in space and cross into <laughs> each other's ships and, and shake hands. Was, and dock together. And dock together. He's the oldest uh, docker in space. Yep. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> That's probably not true anymore. It gets now that they spend like, you know, a year up there on the thing. There's no, no, every, yeah, everyone's docking. Yeah. Now, I mean. yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's my news. A, it, the first ever international space flight. And it was also the last U.S. space flight until 1981 when the shuttle launched. Wow. That's very, very interesting. All right, man crush. Let's hear what you have for your television selection. All right, so there's no no docking on this one, but we have uh, July 17th, 1987. It's summertime once again, so slim pickings for new shows at this point, not even endings of shows. There were a couple Fox shows that debuted, but nothing too exciting at this point. Uh, however, we did get some excellent TV-related news that day because one of our favorite television game shows signed a permanent staple at their sh- for their show. Ready for this one? Because it's funny how it was, it was said early on. And we're going to bring it all back because now like Joan Rivers, she had just recently starred in her own late night talk show on Fox, but she was shit canned by Fox after eight months yeah. into the show. So as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure because Joan quickly recovers <laughs> with a much better show and better network. Mm-hmm. I do like Fox, by the way, just at the time in 1987, there's a lot of experimenting. I love Mary with children and stuff, but I was on that. Wait, you were all, wait, you were on this right here. I'll tell you that. She she signed with NBC to be the new permanent center square on the new Hollywood squares. And uh I do I find this particular game show to be pretty monumental, especially when it comes to dueling decades, because I see a lot of parallels between her gig as the permanent center square and our guest judges. You know, we had this chat with Chris Barron and Spin Doctors last week and Having a celebrity guest judge on the show is really different. It's insightful, you know, organic stories come up and like all things that just having somebody we know being the judge doesn't normally happen. So having, right. yeah, having those people on, it's a lot different. So thank you, Tony, for coming on, gracing us with your presence. Aww. Thank you tenfold. Cause like, you're not even in the condition to, to be doing this. You're not supposed to be on here. You're like the, you're like the baseball player that's supposed to be on the DL, but you're still playing. That's right. That's right. I'm going out there. I'm going out there, coach. That's right. You got the bloody <laughs> sock and everything. You're like, <laughs> oh yeah, the last dance. Do you think that one's gonna go over my head? <laughs> no, I knew you'd get it. You're a baseball girl. Oh, you did. <laughs> but in Hollywood Squares, you always had like these random panelists on the show. But with the induction of Joan Rivers, you had two semi-permanent members because you had her, Jim J. Bullock. I think he was in the top left at the time. So you had your wild card celebrities every week, just like Tawny said, she was on the show, but you can always count on those two. They would deliver, you know, some pretty epic moments. They would tie everything back together. And Joan would end up appearing on the show for 70 episodes between 1986 and 1989. Oh, she's just, she's so amazing. If you watch any of her documentaries of her life and, and her, you know, and how she lived and how she toured and the thing, I mean, she's just, she was a genius. She was an she absolute was genius. Everything. If you go to her IMDb, I think a lot of people will stick to, they go to IMDb and they'll just look at actress. Look at self. Yeah. Look at self and see how many things she yeah. was on. It's absurd. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Like, I mean, from from the the roasts. Oh, yeah. From back in the day with Dean Martin, all the way till, you know, doing the... Um, the the Grammys and the Oscars and doing all, all the red you know, carpet all the, stuff that she did with her the daughter. Red carpets. I mean, I mean, she she was in every she was in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. The two. I mean, yeah. there was a woman who, other than Charo, 
worked as hard <laughs> as she did. Yeah. You know, my daughter just asked me today if Charles was still dancing. Can you guys answer that for of me course. so I can get off the phone from you guys and tell her? <laughs> yes. Was she, was she still dancing now? She, does she ever stop dancing? No, I can't imagine that she would. Because I told my daughter she's really popular in Colombia and Portugal and all these other, you know, incredible countries. She's got, she's still got to be dancing and doing all her stuff, isn't she? I'm sure. And I'm sure she still looks great, too. Either that or she exploded and became Shakira. <laughs> well, she has Benjamin's Buttons disease. It's <laughs> going backwards. Oh, I love Shakira, man. She is hot. She's another one. She's like, she's about my age. She is. And she looks like she's like 21. Yeah. yeah. She's and she's amazing. had, how many kids she had? Like two or three or something like that? I think two. Yeah. She doesn't, totally doesn't look like she had two kids. No, no, she looked incredible. Oh, it was the Super Bowl she just did, right? right? It was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was the, yeah. I mean, she was wearing she wasn't wearing heels either. She was wearing flats, so she was just she. She's just sexy. She's sexy. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Shakira wins this round. <laughs> All right, let's go down to our guest judge, Tawny Katane, to see who won the television round. My gosh! All comes down to this. Nick, you were really, really good. Mike, I I loved everything you had to say, but you know what? Right there in the corner, Joe. I'm going to give it to you, buddy. Oh, Tani, I love you. you <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what that does is that ties the game between Mike and Joe. We're going to go to our final wild card round where each competitor has one extra pick in whatever category they could find. So we'll start off with Mike Ranger. What do you got, man? Well, I've got a movie from July 20th, 1994. It's based off the John Grissom novel, and it's The Client, starring Susan Sarandon and Tommy Lee Jones. Remember that one? You went with North over that? Wasn't that fun? Wasn't that all the rage in the rental stores for like three years, and now nobody <laughs> talks about it? They're still not talking about them. <laughs> no. <laughs> They were, that's so funny. Yeah, they were really hot for like a good five or six years. John Grisham novels? Yeah. Is that what you just said? Yeah, yeah. in the movies. Oh, yeah. Well, course. the movie The Client, yeah. And then they just yeah. died out. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I haven't seen that in 20 years. But do you remember how big it was yeah. for like that window? I mean, it was huge. Yeah, it was huge. like how true crime is yeah. now. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Shoot me in the face. Let me. <laughs> Tiger King. Okay, who's seen Tiger King? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I actually used to work there. Um, you know, uh, yeah, uh, no, I was actually one of uh, Joe's earrings. Yeah. I just kind of hung around. Oh, my goodness. That's too funny. Let me ask you, why did you pick North as your main movies pick over that one? Because You know what? I was thinking back to how we used to look at things kind of, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to say the client. Everybody's going to tell me that nobody fucking remembers the client. So was like, Let's it's got no go legs. North. It's got no legs. Yeah. Yeah. I would hear that. I heard that in my head. <laughs> Who used to say legs? I, think I that was That was you, wasn't it? Still right in between like a long rant about a fucking remote control or something. <laughs> <laughs> this ColecoVision's got legs. I tell you. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, let's hear what you have for the wild card round. All right, well, I teased baseball earlier on, and you're getting it now because we've got a tie. July 15th, 1975 is the MLB All-Star Game, and it was an All-Star Game which just seems like some kind of fantasy. Uh, we have so many uh, gigantic names in this one. Uh, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, Carl Yastrzemski, Nolan Ryan, Reggie Jackson, Bobby Bonds. It was the final All-Star game for Hank Aaron, who had done 21 straight All-Star games in 21 wow. years of wow. his career. Uh, just outstanding. It was also the very first All-Star game that, uh, had honorary captains and Mickey Mantle was the first captain for the AL and Stan Musial for the NL. Uh, the game was tied, uh, going into the ninth inning until the National League, uh, pulled ahead, capped by a sacrifice fly from Pete Rose. They ended up winning the game 6-3. Wow. And, uh, so the losing, I just like to say the name too. Uh, the loss was given to, uh, pitcher Catfish Hunter for mm -hmm. that game. Mm -hmm. 
just scrolling through that and just seeing these names of it's like when you hear things about, Oh, I had this person's card and it's worth like thousands of dollars. It was just a list of all those people. Pretty much. It was like, it's like going back to like the, the times of like Mickey Mantle and stuff like that in his heyday. Uh, so yeah, the all-starist of all-star games, July 15th, 1975. Damn. I'm ready to pick. (laughs) Let's hear from our celebrity (laughs) guest judge, Tawny Katane on who wins this game. Thank you very, very, very much, Nick. Um, yes, uh, Joe. Thank you. Got to give it to Joe. Mike, I love you. Thank you. But I had to give it to Joe. Joe's getting me. He's understanding. He's like, if I go to baseball, if I go to baseball, I can go to the smallest little degree and she'll get it. And that's, that's what won. That's what won this time. You have me back in a couple of weeks. I'm going to fool you. Because you don't know what I'm going to like. But tonight, it was all about baseball. I appreciated it. I loved it. I'm here. You sacrificed some time for me with your wife not here. And I just, I have to say I love you. Uh, I love you more. And I, this is a gift for my wife. <laughs> I don't know, man. If she hears this, she might get yourself into a pickle. <laughs> no more than usual. I will give you a little thing though. My wife doesn't listen to my podcast, but she does listen to this one. So I might be. No, no, I'm saying that you gave your time away from your wife for, for this, which was so sweet. So she's a good woman. She's a good woman to let you, let you disappear for a little bit. She tells Joe to come on here. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, Oh, they want you back. Go. And they yeah. haven't even called yet, right? And Joe's like, what? What? Sometimes Nick's looking yeah. at his phone. He's like, oh, Joe's in trouble again. He wants He wants to guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to guess? Tony, seriously, we, we do need to get you back again. Like I was saying before, like the regulars on Hollywood Squares, I think you would come back and you'd do fantastic. You get the yeah. game. You see how the flow is. And you'll probably next time you won't be in bed. Or me, you could be. No, I'll be in bed next right. week. Yeah, I was going to say, you could be. Yes. Like, <laughs> but it won't be right after a surgery. Yeah, I was, was going to say, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys, this was so much fun. I didn't think. I was like, what are we really going to do? What are we going to do? This was really intimidating and then a lot of fun. It's easy, though, right, from the judge's yeah. perspective. I mean, it's hard to pick some stuff, I think, if it's close. Yeah, but when it's close, yeah. and you guys had some close stuff tonight, you really did. And especially since I haven't won in three weeks, so that's yeah. hard. <laughs> oh, it's hard yeah. on the judges not to pick me. I know. But. Yeah, but when you win, we'll all hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just got to find you. You got to keep changing up your shirt every week until you find the new lucky shirt. I only have like four, and I'm like Where Mr. Rogers. You know what your problem is? Ooh, I don't have a kiss shirt. You, I have a Guns N' Roses shirt. You haven't worn a tie dye yet. Oh, there you go. It's not your problem, man. Uh, I, do, I have wore a tie day in the past, but you know what? I was actually supposed to see Guns N' Roses Saturday, and that That's concert right. got canceled. <laughs> so my wife and I are having our own Guns N' Roses concert by our pool on Saturday. We're getting fucked up. We're going to listen to Guns N' Roses <laughs> outside, eat hot dogs. And make oh, my believe. God. Have one of your friends check the drain in about two hours after being there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, just do me a favor. You talk about the pool pump? <laughs> the pool drain. Yeah. <laughs> I shall let her know. Usually my wife's Thank the one you. that cleans the pool, so we'll see. Hey honey, Tony Katane says to check the pool filter. <laughs> my wife really? is the great my wife is the greatest. She loves like I don't know if she loves it, but she yeah, she does. She loves cleaning. Like she has like three vacuum cleaners and she's a, she's an NP. There's some people that just, I love that. I love that about her. My dad's like that. So I can relate to her. Oh, I wake up. If I wake up at nine o'clock on a Saturday, she's already been up since six o'clock. Cause she's been cleaning for three hours. Okay. Like, I have a question. Doing? Will she marry me? <laughs> <laughs> she's got an excellent career too. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good deal. Oh. You might be in trouble on this one, man crush. You might be Yeah, in no, I'm not gonna give this I'm not gonna give this one up. I'm not gonna tell her you said that. So that's mine. Sorry. It's okay. She's just right there. <laughs> Tony, do you have anything you want to plug before you go? Oh, just me. Um, 
That works. That works. Um, no, I'm just, yeah, I'm starting this candle company. It's called TK Essentials. And I've got like uh, just amazing smells and beautiful rhinestones. And they're pretty high end, but, you know, who isn't? Um, <laughs> I want one for our studio. Like we're, Mike and I are opening our studio up. It should be, I mean, the pandemic is completely fucked. Yeah. But it does smell in there because we're too dudes. Right, right. I would love to get a candle. <laughs> What's that. your favorite flavor? It's like I have butterscotch. Uh, I, what do you have? I, I've got, you You name the smell, I have it. Mike, you're, what, what, what would you uh, want? I don't know, possibly maybe some um, some cumber melon. Um, <laughs> I have that. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, something. You from, really? That, that's actually not bad. I like dig yeah. that. What is the Tawny Katane signature scent? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, that's a good question. Um, it's called Zen, and it's um, it was actually Princess Diana's favorite. Um, I mean, I just happened yeah. to find that out. I'm just like you do with the news. I just happened to find that out. I didn't, didn't go searching for it. We we like the same, and we have the <laughs> same birthday. So there's some very interesting news for you guys. Wow. And I like um, uh. For what like co- coconuts, um, butterscotch, banana, grapefruit, lemon, basil you name it. I've got everything. Basil candle, basil candle, Ooh. sage. I heard a while back that there's this Gwyneth Paltrow candle. Do you, do you have <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, because my vagina smells just like hers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> scratch and sniff like what the I mean, she she actually has a she has a vagina candle she has one she's well, yeah she's called one called my vagina and another one called my orgasm it's it, you know, the candles called this is what my vagina smells like yeah and then the other ones, yeah. That's marketing right there. Tony, if you were going to create a candle such as this, uh, what would you say your signature smell would be? I'm out. <laughs> um, I'm thinking pine needles. Not pine, yeah, pine needles. Sage, pineapple, um, grapefruit. So citrus. Um, I love Yeah, I like citrus, it. I like where you're but, going with it. Yeah. Something fruity. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like where I've been with it. Thank you. You were answering that like you there was a timer. She was like, citrus, sage. I know, uh, I know, I know. It's like a, it's like a ten thousand dollar pyramid up. thing. Citrus, sage, things vagina smell like. Can I get it inside? <laughs> All right. So I definitely we need one of those for the studio. That would be freaking fantastic. Because right now it smells like paint, which is awful. Oh geez. Okay, send me a box. Where do you order it from? Can we go to your website? Do you have a website up for it now, or is it um, you still working on it? No, uh, right now I'm just doing all DMs. I'm getting a bunch of DMs for my candles because I'm trying to get my website up, and um, I've got a, a golf course, or one of the main golf courses here that I'm going to get my stuff in. They're going to be selling it in their um, their you know Pelican Hill. Yeah, it's a really high <laughs> end. Does. It's where you can sell a candle for a hundred and fifty bucks, and no one even squints. They're Ooh. just like, "Yep, one hundred and fifty bucks." Wow, vagina candle <laughs> for a vagina I'll candle. Take that. <laughs> this is what my vagina smells like. <laughs> Wait, how much does that one go for? Is oh, that, like that a one for me, a little too? bit more expensive than hers. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a comparison there's gonna be like commercials where people are smelling it like, you should just put out your own version of what you think Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina smells like <laughs> it's like the, the celebrity imposter oh my god I could just oh my god you guys how brilliant so you just get like five like top main actresses and just put out candles with their names on it and their vaginas yeah but yeah. think about how demoralizing that could be when one of them goes like in disguise to a yankee candle and then some kid walks by and was like Ugh, that yankee. one sucks yeah well you know what she's just gonna have to get over it isn't she well yes yeah. she might get five bucks out of each sale i don't know yeah 
Now, for legal reasons, you probably couldn't put, you know, this is what Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina smells like. You need a nickname. You could put, yeah. like, could this be what Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina smells like? You know like? what? Or you could just put it like, what's in the box? What's in her box? What's in the box? <laughs> what's in her box? Oh, oh my God. Oh, it looks go. like a can of tuna. <laughs> Oh, darn, darn. <laughs> All right, we still need to get you back on in a couple weeks after you're done. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have a um a tooth that um it takes four, like a what are they called um um when you have a tooth that's missing a cap? No, I a, a what? A cap? No, not a cap. Like um when. Instead of a denture, you have a tooth that comes out, and you need to, yeah, kind of something like that. I had that done about two months ago, and it takes four months for the healing to last to take place in your roof of your mouth, and then they put oh. the gum in, so yeah. the tooth in. So I've got two more months. It feels That's like a burnt yeah. pizza on the bottom of on the top of my uh, roof of my mouth. Oh, Not fun, man. That's it. Does that's why I'm going to be in bed next time you guys call me. <laughs> So, yeah, I would love them to check out my YouTube channel on YouTube. It's called Tawny's Take. And then you can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm verified on all those channels. So come see me. Who verified you? Who did this? My mom and dad. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So once again, I want to thank our guest judge, Tawny Katane, for coming in and judging this episode. But in the meantime, if you've missed an episode, you can always head over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on Spotify, iTunes, wherever podcasts are available. And then while you're on the interwebs, go on over to Facebook.com forward slash Dueling Decades, where you can hang out with the other 50,000 duelers and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.